Good morning, friends. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Lou, are you there? I'm there. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Um, today, friends, we are going to be talking not about a specific verse or chapter in the Gita, but about the mind. And as you know, uh, we had talked about my interest in the mind. Some of you have seen these um, programs that, that I've done called Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, not the Gita. That's how we started, right, Lou? Yes. We, we started with Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. And in that, we talked about how as a young physician, as a medical student, I was very fascinated by the mind. Yeah. Um, you know, there was lots of my friends were going into plastic surgery, surgery, OBGYN, money-making parts of the medicine. Yeah. And I, I, it depended on what kind of grades you had, marks you had in school that you could get into a specialty like that. And only, I, and I could have gotten into that, but I chose to go into medicine because to go into psychiatry because I was fascinated by the mind. And if you want to go back and look at these videos on memoirs of a psychiatrist, and you will see my fascination with the mind. This is what's and, fascinating to me uh, about this whole series that I find interesting because you have a working as a psychiatrist, you have a working knowledge of the mind and you understand it from a different context and from a different perspective uh, than uh, most people and certainly people who follow the Gita in general and who are trying to learn these principles. So having that combined knowledge is fascinating to me. I love the way that I love the, that filter in you. Uh, because it makes it, it's interesting to me because you have a much more clinical view of the mind probably than most people who are swamis or, or practice the Gita. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that, uh, Lou. I myself have often wondered whether it was something about myself in previous lives that made me fascinated by the mind without even knowing at that time that the Gita revolved so much around the mind. So without talking too much about myself, let me talk to you about why I was so fascinated by the mind and what exactly the mind and why it's important in coming to a point where you're developing yourself spiritually. Because the mind has desires and the desires in every religion, Christianity, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, the desires are considered demon, maru, um, uh, shaitan, uh, the devil. These are all dev uh, the desires and, and they come from the mind. So let's talk in today's session. There's so much to talk about. I think 20 minutes, half hour is not going to be enough, but <laughs> let me do it as quickly as I can. So friends, you remember the basics that I talked about that at the lowest level, we, each one of us, is the body. Our body, which we focus so much on in terms of appearance, how do we look? Have we built ourselves by going to the gym? Have we lost weight? Have we gained weight? That's the body. And it has five sense organs, uh, five organs of perception and five organs of action. Above that comes the mind. And I'll tell you why, we'll be talking about this in a second, why the mind is considered above the body. And above the mind comes the intellect. Uh, and above the intellect, controlling all of this, the superconductor of all of this is the Atman. So first thing that you should understand is that the pleasure coming from the mind 
is far greater than the pleasure coming from a body. Believe it or not, you may say, no, that's not true, but it is. So as, in, as an example, Gautam Jain used to give us this example of a mother who has her favorite dessert in front of her. And there's only one piece left. And she's looking forward to eating it. She's waited all day. She said, I'm going to wait till the evening after my dinner. I'm going to eat it. As she's about to eat it, her little baby comes and says, I want it. Now she's torn. Baby wants it. I want it. My body wants it. My tongue wants it. But she gives it to her baby and the baby's eating it so happily. And she looks at the child and even though her body, her tongue is disappointed that she couldn't get it, she's happier that the baby ate the sweet than she would have been had she eaten it herself. Her tongue got the pleasure and she looked at the child and she, was she looked at the child's disappointment and the child was crying. Right. So that's one example of many, there are many others, that we can say that the mind is superior to the body in that respect as far as pleasure. Second thing that we should keep in mind is that the body can be confined, but the mind cannot. For example, if uh, a person is in jail, he's blocked in by uh, iron bars all around him, then at that time, the body can't move outside those bars. Right. But the mind can think outside. It can say, you know what? There was a time when I was in Bermuda. I was on the beach. I was having this fun. I was having that fun. And the mind relives different experiences that the mind had. However, the mind can only go as far as things that it had been to. So your jail cell, the person in the jail cell says, hey, by the way, you've been to Bermuda. You've been here. You've been there. Have you ever been to Timbuktu? Right. And he says, no, I've never been to Timbuktu. What's it like? The mind cannot, but the intellect can perceive if given a description of something that is never experienced, what it can do. So the intellect can go there. So the mind is superior to the body. The intellect is superior to the uh, mind. It mm -hmm. can go different places. The mind is with us for many, 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 many lives. I have so many thousands. And because of that, it gets to be really deep. So the ocean, I was just looking it up to see how deep is the ocean. On an average, the depth of the ocean is about 2.3 miles is what I found out. Wow. But at its deepest point, you remember the spaceship Challenger, um, yes. Lou? Yes. So there's, there's something called the Challenger Deep. Mm -hmm. And that Challenger Deep is in the Pacific Ocean. That's the deepest known point of the ocean. That's 6.86 miles from the surface of the water to the deepest point, 6.86 miles. Can you wow. imagine that? No, I, I mean, can't. we go, go for a walk. We walk one mile and say, wow, that was a great distance. This is almost seven miles of depth. Anyway, that's the depth of the ocean. But at the surface of the ocean, you see little waves, big waves, ripples. And that's exactly what the mind is like. It is so deep. It yes. has many, many, many previous experiences that it has in it. Now, it's not just the human experiences, because we may have been a human being uh, in the past lives, an Egyptian, a Chinese, uh, uh, Indian, you know, but before that we were animals. And it also has rudimentary memories of that kind of thing. So what does the mind want? Just as when it was an animal mind, it wants, first of all, not to be dead. It right. wants to be alive. 
So the first thing the mind does is it protects itself from any danger that's going to kill it. Second thing that it wants is no pain. Second thing it wants is no pain so that any discomfort or pain that would be coming, the mind takes its organs of action and moves away from it. And the third thing after it is secure that it's not going to die and it's not going to feel any pain, it starts looking around for objects of pleasure for its five sense organs. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things that it looks for. Um, in addition, it has fears, it has phobias, it has ideas, it has obsessions, it has sadness, and it's very stubborn. It is thousands of years old. You are just you know, one lifetime old. It is thousands of lifetime behind it. So it is very stubborn and it's stronger than you are, my friend. It's difficult to control. The Gita says it's like the wind, um, just like, you know, powerful wind coming to you. You can't control it. Right. It, our it, mind is influenced by our teachers, by the Internet, by traditions, by the company we keep, by TV and books. So it's very important that all of these things that we influence our mind with are of good quality. The mind thinks in terms, I mean, these things are so deep. You might have smelled something as a child and as an adult in your 80s, you smell that again. And instantly, instantly, your mind will say, I remember that smell. Where's that from? That's a familiar smell. We all say that I, that's something about that sight, that visual image, that smell, that taste that reminds me of something from the past. And we often say there's deja vu or right. something from before, but the mind remembers these kinds of things. And the reverse is also true. The mind could have one thought of something, a fear, and your heart will instantly jump from a heart rate that is like 70 um, per minute to 100 per minute, very quickly, instantly. Or your respiration will go fast, your breathing will go fast, your mind, has immediate control over the involuntary organs of your body. It, the mind is constant, nonstop. It is restless. <clears throat> it moves from one point to the next, like a monkey, uh, jumping from one branch to the next. And also chanchala and asthira. It will jump from one branch to another. But if you force it to stay on one point, the mind, it while it's on that point, it will keep moving side to side like a restless monkey. Therefore, when it is mind, the mind is uh, restless and jumping around, the attention span is very low. You can't concentrate it. And the reason I'm describing all this is because we're on chapter six and we've been talking about meditation. Mm -hmm. And in order to meditate, your mind has to be in complete control and be quiet, not make the noise. If you don't understand the mind, you don't know in terms of meditation how to quiet it down. Um, otherwise, for a second, even a fraction of a second, you cannot keep your mind from, from jumping to something, some thought. As you practice, you'll find that you're able to extend it. But like Swami Parthasarthi says, unless you get rid of all your desires, all your vasanas, you're not going to be able to meditate. But you can practice it. And yes, there will be longer and longer periods of time that you can keep your mind blank. But our wishes are for our mind to multitask. And that's a problem because we want to do too many things at the same time. 
in order to meditate, you've got to get rid of your vasanas and your thoughts. And that's hard, as Swami Parthasarthi says, until you do that, don't even try to meditate. But so many of us at least try to still our mind, even if it's not meditation for self-realization, just to get to the point where you are feeling better about yourself, to, to get to the point where you feel uh, more at peace within yourself. Your, your brain your, is sharper, laser sharp. You need to be able to still your mind because as long as there's noise in your mind, you cannot really concentrate. I think people with meditation, one of the struggles is they think they can't do it and because they think that's an end goal. And meditation to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you do it so that you can do it better as you go. It's one of the tools that allows you to quiet your mind, isn't it? Absolutely right. I mean, it's like going to the gym. You know, you don't go to the gym and say, you know, the first week that you're there, you're going to be bulging with muscles or your stamina is going to be great or you're going to be able to run at seven miles per hour. In the beginning, it's hard. You, you come away and you say, oh, my body is killing me. But the trainer will tell you, just keep coming, keep doing it and you will get better. Similarly with the mind. You don't come and lift 100 pounds right off the bat. <laughs> right. Come and lift 5 or 10 or 15, and then you work your way up, and this is what meditation is like. Yeah, and, and in the beginning, not even a fraction of a second will a, a thought be silent. You will have some thought or the other there in the beginning. But as time goes on, you can hope to have like a minute or two minutes that you're completely still without any thought. So just something to keep in mind. I was talking about the commercials. Uh, uh, TV. When in the beginning, uh, maybe 40 years ago, CNBC, when it first started, was just one screen with Sue Herrera or some news anchor like that. You ever watch CNBC, uh, Luke? Not, not back at that point, no. <laughs> no, no. But used to have one anchor and he or she just used to speak. Right. Maybe there was nothing on the screen behind her. You just saw her face or his face. Now, you have, in addition to the person speaking, there are multiple screens on it. There's a ticker running on the bottom. Yeah. On the side is the price of oil and the price of gold and the price of silver and the latest uh, pol political news. And it's just so crowded because people want more than one thing at any given time. And that's us. One way to practice this is, my friend, to slow your life down. Don't try to multitask. You, you will only reduce the quality of your work by multitasking. Focus your mind on one thing and one thing alone. You'll get more done. You, it's not like you'll get, I know people who try to do many things at one time. They think they're super efficient. They're actually, their production is worse. They lose time and the quality is not as good. So the mind has strong desires. The desires of a of a mind are like a freight train that's run away, a runaway freight train. Stopping that is going to be as difficult as stopping a runaway freight train. It has so strong desires. It's possible and it's very possible, but it takes effort. Same thing is stamina. You know, you say, okay, listen, you're going to keep running. The strain will slow down at some point because it runs out of momentum if it's going uphill. The mind never slows down. It just keeps going and going and going, never gets tired. And the same thing with uh, age. You say, okay, as he gets older, his desires will be getting less. No, the no. desires are just there. 
And what happens after the person dies? The mind carries those desires with it until it finds a new body. And from an early childhood, those desires show itself. The mind's habits show itself. So the mind has habits. It has a way of thinking. And if you look, these habits, if you look at the way of thinking, it's because 90% of it is what came from the previous life and 10% is what came from this life. But right. it, it has both. So um, to protect very quickly, to protect life, protect yourself from pain and go towards worldly pleasures, you have to try to slow your life down, slow your mind down and recognize that when you're in an audience, you're sitting in a theater, there's a loud sign. Everything is quiet. The person on the stage is talking. There's a loud sound from behind. You see the majority of people turning around and looking right. back to say, what was that sound? Yes. There are some who will not turn. They will keep their attention focused on the speaker as he's talking. There are those who even without a sound will keep turning around and looking. Right. And you, as you get this knowledge, my friends, you will see that you're able to pick up animalistic instincts in people. Those are just like an animal that is eating, a dog, for instance. As he's eating, his eyes are looking on every side for danger. Right. He's looking here, there, everywhere. He doesn't just focus on his food and eat. He's always looking around. So as with any carnivore, always afraid of what's coming. And that's what some people do. Some people are always looking here, there, everywhere, as if there's danger around them. Even though as human beings, the level of danger that we have is far less than we actually perceive it to be. So that's why it's referred to often when we talk psychology, people refer to the monkey mind or the reptile mind. Because yes. it's, it's those instincts that are uh, vying for our attention, grabbing our attention all the time because they're designed to do that. They're designed to help us survive. Monkey mind, the scriptures actually call our mind a monkey, symbolize or a rodent, like yep. a rat or a mouse. And we can go into that sometime. Yep. But the scriptures teach us that there's artha and kama. Artha means self-preservation and kama means desire. And that's what really the mind wants to do. Right. And the way to get around this, my friends, as we go into the next verses and chapter is to do something else, give the mind a different habit. So one thing is japa. Japa is repeating something over and over again, like a mantra. And you keep doing that while you're doing your prayers, while you're sitting there, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Some other habit. Um, so in Sanskrit, it says vairagya, which means uh, renunciation. And this renunciation only comes through discrimination, through viveka through satsang, which is a good company that teaches you good things, or through prayer. It only comes through knowledge, not willpower. So this renunciation, you cannot will yourself to do it. It has to come through knowledge that says, I want to get uh, past this. And through abhyasa. Abhyas doesn't mean study. Some people think abhyas means study. Abhyas means a routine a habit, something that you keep doing over and over again. So discrimination and then uh, vairagya, which comes from repeated renunciation over and over again. Last thing I want to mention is something known as funeral renunciation. So many people, if they've got a loved one that they're very close to die, 
then they say, you know, I don't want anything. Come on, let's go to a movie. Let's go to a nice restaurant. He said, I have no appetite to eat. I have no desire to see a movie. I don't want to do anything. That renunciation is only temporary. That's a funeral renunciation. It comes right back. Many people think that what we do when we try to do renunciation by willpower is a funeral renunciation and it will come back. You're only suppressing it. So hopefully this will give you some idea about the mind. Recognize that if you were to go back and look at these videos, um, I, I gave you an example of how I was shocked when I was like, forget 21, 22. Mm -hmm. I was a resident doing hypnosis and I went to see, remember that Lou? This yeah. was, seems like a, ages ago that we were talked about this. But I saw a patient who was in ICU that was dying of asthma, yeah. uh, status asthmaticus. And at that time, we didn't have the medications we did today. And I was just a kid. I didn't know what else to do as a psychiatrist. And I said, let me try and hypnotize him. He said, okay. I hypnotized him. Now, I worked on his mind. Everybody else was working on his body for the asthma. Right. I worked on his mind. And under hypnosis, his breath came back to normal, and he survived, and he lived. And later, as I say in this thing, in this video, he died the same way. His wife presented him with divorce papers, and he had an asthma attack, and he died. So his mind killed his body again. So the mind has tremendous powers. Yes. We talked at that time about how the mind controls the intestine, about different uh, diseases, uh, ulcerative colitis, spastic colitis, uh, Crohn's disease, asthma, urticaria, migraine headaches, all of these physical illnesses, including cancer, you know, are to great extent either caused by or worsened by uh, the mind. Right. So they're called psychosomatic. Doesn't mean that they're in your mind, you're imagining them, but it does mean that the mind can influence these diseases. So friends, thank you very much for listening. I hope uh, this little deviation from the Gita makes it easier for when we do come back to talking about the verses, makes it a little easier for you to understand how difficult it is for meditation to go on without controlling and knowing the mind. So thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.